You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This is where the fun begins. Race you to the top. I'll give you a head start. Your mistake. Attention cables! I'm right behind you, Master! Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be back this week. Uh, we've got a really fun show for everybody. We're going to be talking a little Star Wars. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, Star Wars? There's no new Star Wars stuff. That does not mean there's not plenty of Star Wars stuff to talk about. So I'm excited to be able to do that. Um, before we do jump into that, just want to remind everybody that we're part of the Trek FM network here at the 602 Club. You can find all of our shows on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM, where we're a feature provider there. So take a look, and while you're there, hit us up with a star rating and review. That really does help us out. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. Of course, we're on Twitter. At Trek FM, if you would like to leave the show a voicemail and maybe appear on the show because you did, go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can send us an email at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to me. And then, of course, uh, we have our listeners-only discussion group, which is on Facebook as well. It's called the Babel Conference. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook and we'll let you right into that group, and you can talk with all of the other listeners about everything that's going on here at the 602 Club and across Trek FM. So, well, I told everybody we've got some Star Wars to talk about, and we're going to talk about the Clone Wars movie tonight and add that to our films retrospective that we did last year. And I'm really excited to have back to help with that Bethany Blanton. Hey, Bethany. Hey, I'm very glad to be back on the show and talking something that I am obviously quite passionate about, Star Wars. Yes, I think we're all super passionate about Star Wars. Oh, goodness, and, and so so much Star Wars to come. You know, uh, all we know from Disney is that basically Star Wars will never end now. So hopefully that's a good thing, but I love being able to go back and talk about something like this, the Clone Wars, and we couldn't do that without one of the Jedi Masters. John Mills won't be able to be here. He was taken away on an urgent mission, uh, in, and I don't even know what planet it was that was so secret, but Bruce Gibson. Bruce, great to have you back there, Admiral. Thank you for having me back to talk Star Wars here in the 602 Club. I just feel that afterwards, once we get this done, I have to go rescue John from wherever he's landed, whatever planet he's on, because we got to bring him back. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, well, so one of the interesting things with this kind of Clone Wars experience was I remember back in 2008, 2007, them announcing the fact they were going to do this show. It was going to be an animated series about the Clone Wars, and uh, it was going to be a computer animated series, and they were going to put it on somewhere. Uh, George wasn't sure where yet. And then later out, we found it was going to be on the Cartoon Network. And through the process of making the show, they liked what they saw. And George kind of had this idea that 
maybe we could turn that into a film and uh, give that as the introduction to the show. And so on August 10th, 2008, the Clone Wars movie premiered in theaters, uh, something I didn't know if I'd ever see. It. Obviously, it never even occurred to me to have a, an animated Star Wars movie. And so I wanted to ask you guys what y'all's experience was with the Clone Wars and kind of coming to it. Bethany, um, did you get to see this in the theater when it came out, or did you find the Clone Wars later on? I did not. Now, I knew that it was coming out, but at this point, I was still... I, I should say I was dipping my toes into the ocean that is Star Wars fandom at the time. And I will admit that I was a huge skeptic of the Clone Wars, and I didn't like the idea of Ahsoka Tano, and I didn't like the idea of an animated Star Wars, and Riley had to convince me, my brother and host of the Star Wars Report, had to convince me to even give it a shot. So that was how I started with the Clone Wars. Nice. So once you did say, see, once you saw the movie, uh, what was your kind of general impression after watching that? My my impression was, wow, I'm hooked. I'm hooked, still slightly skeptical, but definitely going to watch the rest. I uh, I still wasn't entirely sure if I liked Ahsoka that much, and and it did take me a while to get used to the animation because really prior to the Clone Wars and maybe a couple of things I watched as a really small child, I had never really watched an animated series before. So it, it just took me a while to get used to that very different um, viewing experience. Uh, but I liked it, and I really liked the characterizations and the story uh, and the music, too. What about you, Bruce? Uh, was that something that happened to you? Did you find the Clone Wars later, or did you go to the theater with the family to see this? I did not go to the theater to see this. You have to think about this point in time in Star Wars. You know, we just came off of Episode 3, which at that time was the last Star Wars movie ever to be made. And so to me, the saga was done. It was complete. And now here we are a few years afterwards, and they're making this Clone Wars TV series. So I'm anxious to see the series. But then when I hear they're releasing a movie, which I knew was really a couple of episodes or three episodes stitched together to make this movie, I was, I was at a point where I was like, you know what? I saw the last Star Wars movie in a movie theater. I don't want to see this, and, and don't take this the wrong way, this cheaper version, this animated TV show on the on the big screen, because to me, it, it just wasn't going to play right for me. I wanted to see it at home. To me, that's the way it should be watched. So now I wasn't deep into fandom. I, I was kind of on my own. I didn't know a bunch of fans like I do now. I mean, if, that, if a movie like that came out now, I'm sure I would be there with a group of people. But then I was just like, no, I'll wait till it comes out. So when it came out on Blu-ray, I bought the Blu-ray, I think at a Blockbuster store when they were still around, and uh, watched it at home. Like, last sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a, I think it was, a, actually, I think it was a store that was closing, and they were getting rid of their inventory, so I got the, the disc real cheap. But I saw it, I think, 
I don't think it was the first one I saw of the Clone Wars I saw. I think I saw it maybe four episodes in or five episodes. I'd already started watching the series before I saw the movie. What's Blockbuster? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's like a real big uh, red box, but blue. It's so funny. Um, Tristan over from the Nerd Party, every time him and his wife are talking on their new show, Nerd Nuptial, so many times they say things that make me feel so old. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But that was really funny, Bethany. So, uh, I yeah, had to. No, you're right. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know what that is these days, let alone a video store in the first place. So, you know, it's interesting for me. I have a completely different experience with the Clone Wars in that at that point I was in grad school. I was living in Minnesota and I knew it was coming out. I was working at a bookstore. So I um, actually partly knew that it was coming and it was going to be in the theaters and everything because uh, they had the novelization come out um, where I Karen Travers. Uh, we actually had like a stand up for it and everything with the, the hardcover novelization. And um, by the way, if you've never read the novelization for it, it's fantastic. Uh, she does a really good job with the story. And uh, so one day after work, probably around 4 o'clock, uh, you know, after the movie came out, I think it might even been opening day, went and saw it with some friends of mine uh, from work, you know. And it wasn't too packed because it was like, you know, you, you work retail, you get off around 4, there wasn't really anybody there. And I, I remember sitting down watching this. I don't really know to, what to expect. And personally, I just, I remember coming out of it feeling like, man, that's one of the most Star Wars-y things I've seen in a long time. Like, I was immediately like you, Bethany. I was just kind of, I was hooked. I really enjoyed the the story. Um, you know, I, I felt like it felt Star Wars. Yes, it was animation. And, you know, some of the voices are obviously different because it's going to be an animated show and all that stuff but it just it felt like star wars and i at the same time too i thought wow animation that's a great way to do star wars because you can do anything you know you're you're not having to worry about the limitations of budget and feels like george should have always been working in animation <laughs> so you know and i know he doesn't he's he's not uh, an actor's director you know this way he really got to do what he did best uh, when he became more and more involved it is that went on edit and put the story together and so I really liked it I I wonder what you guys thought especially because this is a different style of animation it's very stylized and the characters really look like a 1960s series from Britain called Thunderbirds which were these puppets these kind of uh, in the very wooden looking almost and that changes again over the time period that the clone wars runs but what did you guys kind of think about just the animation itself after seeing the film or at the beginning of the series hmm. i guess for this one i honestly would defer to what the two of you thought because at the time as i kind of hinted at before i'd never really watched much animation and and at least that wasn't of that style. You know, I'd watch some of the old Disney mm -hmm. movies and stuff as a kid, but uh, it's it's a bit different when you've been used right. to... It, you, you have an image of a live-action version of a character in your head already. Um, but 
It took a little getting used to for me, but once I did, uh, I definitely started appreciating it more. And especially, and I know we're not um, going over the entire series, but as the series developed, the animation just kept improving until I thought it was quite stellar. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. What about you, Bruce? Well, I remember reading that it was uh, that style to look like Thunderbirds. Not that I really watched Thunderbirds, but I was familiar with what it was. So going into it, I was already prepared to see this animation style that was going to be different. I was very accepting of it. I mean, I think it was a little jarring at first. Uh, I think especially more so with you know, Jabba the Hutt didn't didn't have as much mass or something to him. So it it and, and the characters did look a little wooden and moved more wooden than they did later in the series. As Bethany was mentioning, it, it got better. But um, I was I was OK with it because going into it, knowing this is how it's going to be and knowing George Lucas was behind it, I was really interested, interested to see where this would go. It took me a while to get used to Yoda. He looked a little weird to me in some respects but you know you mentioned earlier matt about uh the novelization i just remember i first read the kids book before i even saw the movie it just dawned on oh, me okay. when you mentioned that so you had a familiarity with what you were going to see before you actually saw the film yeah i actually knew the story so i read the book before i saw the movie even though it was a kid's book with pictures because <laughs> I read it to my daughter. It was a bedtime story. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, Bruce, right. Um... <laughs> okay, it was my bedtime story. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and she was reading to you because you don't read. Um, I just no, looked at the true. pictures. <laughs> they were so pretty. Uh, I really, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I, I hadn't really seen Thunderbirds, but I knew what it was, what it was, and you know, what George was going for with the animation. And so I felt like when I came in, I was like, okay, this just feels like something George would do because he loves the influence of other things. And it, it I, I thought it was great to set it apart, you know, to, to give it its own look and feel because it definitely didn't feel like anything that was on television at that point. And it, was uniquely Clone Wars. You know, I, I haven't seen anything since that looks like this. And so uh, I think it was, a, a to me, it was a good move because it immediately set it apart. And it was done for a reason, you know. Um, obviously, as we've talked about, it does get better and better and better as they move forward and they know what they can do with the models and things grow and change and and that happens in all animation. I mean, look at Disney films. It happens like that, you know. Listen to Disney Vault Talk. Steve will tell you all about it. Uh, but, you know, that's, I, I, to me, it worked. And I really liked that. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was cool because that is one of the things that I think people felt like they missed just in general with the, the, the prequel trilogy is we don't actually see the Clone Wars. And we'd had the micro-series but this, to me, was exciting that George had this idea of let's go back and tell those stories. And I think what came out of it was just something that's really, truly special. And I think it starts off here well. And specifically, I want to ask you guys, okay, this Christophs' opening. I mean, there's a big opening that kind of sets the stage about what's going on and everything. And then we get to this major opening and right away, I felt like this show was saying a lot of things about what it was going to be. 
And I wanted to get your guys' opinion. Bruce, when you were watching this scene specifically, especially for the first time, what did you think about this? Because to me, it set the tone for what this show was going to be like. It, it said to me that this is not a little kid's show. I mean, it can appeal to kids, but it was... I mean, we already kind of heard about uh, going into this Ahsoka and, he, you know, there's going to be this apprentice and, and, and there's going to be some new characters introduced. But I didn't know how this movie was going to play. Was it going to feel like Star Wars or is it going to feel more like, you know, the Ewoks or droids cartoons from back in the 80s? <laughs> yes. Uh, this was that was those cartoons, Bethany, were before Blockbuster even started. <laughs> but um so, you know, there's this battle going on, it, and it, it was just up there with the same level as uh, what we saw in the prequels. And so I was like, okay, you know, this this might be good. Now, let's just hope there's a good story with this and, and good acting that goes along with it. But the action is definitely there. I definitely feel like I fell into the middle of a prequel movie. I think for me, I didn't really think about it at the time, but... That battle and that opening really did set the tone for the series. You know, everybody kind of expected the Clone Wars to be a kid's series. And, you know, a season or two or three, depending on who you were into the show, uh, the discussion really centered around the fact that the Clone Wars, particularly with certain episodes, had uh, was was questionable as to whether or not you know, each individual parent would let each individual child watch all of the Clone Wars or not. Um, and you can you can tell that that seriousness is set up in the Clone Wars TV show. Uh, it, but through the movie, I'm not expressing myself very well right now, but um, it, it was there if you knew what to look for. But I, I was just excited about it. Uh, and I, I loved the action sequences, too. Well, just to hear the battle droids, you know, Roger, Roger, and the way they talk, it was like, yep, here we are. We're back into the movies again. It's just animated. Yeah. And then not only that, they had, you know, it, what I thought was so amazing is that they when they open up into that scene, it's kind of like fading in from black. And all you've been hearing are like clones yelling and like all this stuff. And then... It's you're dropped into a battle, and like you said, Bruce, this it's not a kids' show. I mean, it, kids can watch it, but as you were saying, Bethany, some parents may or may not let all their kids watch all of the episodes, and even the movie here. I mean, clones are getting shot in the head, and you know, I mean, it's just it's it's kind of brutal. It feels like Band of Brothers ish type of stuff going on. It feels more like real war. You know, like Star Wars strangely has lacked a lot of wars actually in it. <laughs> I mean, uh, we've never seen real war in it, but this show kind of drops you in the middle of a battle in the beginning of the, you know, the movie and to say, no, this is all about the war, you know, and uh, I, I, and then of course, you know, Anakin up on top there and he's just telling the the men to follow him and they jump down and take on that huge tripod droid and everything I just it's awesome it I mean it and then Obi-Wan Kenobi lights up his lightsaber and he's the way that he was moving just felt very fluid and Jedi and 
it was to me it was awesome i i just that scene let me know i felt like the series is going to take itself seriously you know it's going to have its fun moments and stuff like that and this show does uh, even this uh movie has plenty of those but it, it's not going to be something where we're just here to have just a good time. We're here to do something serious with the Star Wars universe. And we're treating ourselves as if we're part of that universe. Like, when I watched The Clone Wars for the most part, and it started here, I didn't feel like I wasn't watching something that wasn't important to the saga of Star Wars. Well, when it, it, when I rewatched it just the other night, that moment that you were saying about hearing... When, and when it's fading in, but you're hearing like ground battle, you're hearing all the chatter going on. That moment made me think of Rogue One because yes, I, yes. when I saw the moving poster, as they call it, at Celebration, that's the kind of sounds you heard at the end of that mini trailer when they showed the Rogue One logo. And I thought ground battle and rogue one and i thought of course i didn't think that was the first time i saw it but the second time it was like it just hit me it was like whoa that sound there really sounds dangerous and it doesn't sound kid like it does sound like this is a war movie going into the film now of course it's not a real violent gory type of war movie but i mean it starts off bam you're right in the middle of a war a war battle. I guess if we could take it this way, we see the beginning of that in Attack of the Clones. Mm -hmm. You know, Yoda mm -hmm. says, begun the Clone Wars has. And, you know, we, we see that in the arena sequence and immediately afterwards. And by the time we pick up post the Clone Wars or at the very end of the Clone Wars in Revenge of the Sith, uh, it, things have gotten so much darker so I can actually see the progression of the Clone Wars starting with the movie and then ending with the final set of episodes it is progressing slowly towards a darker, bleaker, harsher war that we see in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, you're right. And because here, too, there is a sterileness to it. You know, you you have shinies, you know, you've got the the brand new clones they're all in that white armor there isn't a lot of specialization to him you don't you know rex is really the only one uh in this episode that's uh you know has really a differentiation about himself you know he stands out uh as well as the clone trooper and i i apologize i forget his name i have the action figure somewhere of the one who comes in and helps out padme at the end um but other than that, those are the two guys that really stand out as being the ones. I think it's Fox that, that yeah, is his name. I think you're um, right. Commander Fox. So, um, but those are the ones who are, are really different. I mean, then, then again, like you said, Bruce, we've got the, you know, the droids and, and it's very, it seems kind of sterile, you know, and the only real characters we kind of feel like at this point are the Jedi because we don't. We don't know the clones just yet. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way of looking at it, Bethany. You, you plant the seed here for definitely where you're going to end, <laughs> for sure. Um, and I, I love that. I, I love that this opening here. It says, hey, we're Star Wars, and we're taking ourselves seriously. We're going to be a show that kids can watch just like the Star Wars movies, but 
it, we're we're not going to necessarily cut corners in the story we're going to tell. So unless it's a droid episode, but that's for another episode of this show. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, about the characterizations because obviously. Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Yoda, Count Dooku, Mace Windu, 3PO, Palpatine, and Padme are all characters we know pretty intimately by this point as fans. And so I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what about uh, the people they got to voice them, and, and especially here in this first movie, how did you feel as you were watching the movie for the first time, and... Um, were they portraying the characters well enough for you? Well, I think Matt, Matt Lanter, I hear people say they like his characterization of Anakin better than Hayden Christensen. But I am not going to say that. They have their own take. Uh, I think Hayden approached the character with more of a slightly dark and whiny cadence to his voice, where Matt Lanter portrayed it a little more action-oriented maybe a little more i mean he had more flexibility i think in his voice acting uh i think he was able to put more um just a just a more normal voice to it where hayden was t playing it just a little flat and i don't mean that in a negative way i think that was all based on direction but i think matt lanter did a great job and if anything i think the person that stands out the most is james arnold taylor because he does a spot on Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So um, I always love hearing him doing that characterization. You know, I would actually entirely agree with that. But the one thing I loved about the characterization of Anakin in the Clone Wars is we see a lot more of Anakin, the commander, Anakin, the teacher, Anakin, the leader, Anakin, even the politician to a degree, and I think when we see him in moments like that, he is uh, not paying attention to his insecurities or he's not telegraphing them, perhaps. It's almost as if when Anakin is only around Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan and Padme to a degree can be his foil for his insecurities, the people that he can voice those to and... Uh, just get wound up in them like we all do at some point but um we saw so much of that in the clone wars or excuse me <laughs> we saw so much of that in attack of the clones and in revenge of the sith that it was so refreshing to see the character uh in just very different and more diverse roles and matt lanter i think brought the perfect pitch to that voice. But, you know, I, I think if I remember correctly, when I first saw the movie, I was wishing he was playing Anakin a little darker because after we saw Attack of the Clones and what he went through and killing the Sand People and Geonosis, I felt like he made another step to the dark side. So I was expecting him to be a little more foreboding and a little more darker. And it, it didn't play that way. I know he did later in the series, I started seeing more of that in certain episodes, but in this in this movie, that I, I would say I was just a little disappointed that he wasn't playing Anakin as a darker, more little angry character. Well, it's interesting too because uh, Matt wasn't the original voice for Anakin that they had. In fact, he had to come in and match 
everything he was doing to something that somebody else did. And so, especially in this movie, the, per- the performance is not all Matt. He's having to match his performance more to somebody else so that the, li- the lip movement will match and everything will look right. Um, See, I didn't know that. See, I learned something yeah. here on this show. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> that's really I think neat, that's yeah. impressive for him to have pulled that off and did do any of the things he actually did in the movie and make it work because that's that's an incredible amount of work that he put in. Um I my wife is one of those people. Uh her and my sister in law both are like, I wish that Matt Lancer had just been Anakin in the prequels because um of course my wife also saw a picture of Matt Lancer and was like yeah, I definitely wish he had been Anakin in the prequels. Um, so, but uh, I'm with you, Bruce. That uh, you know, I love Matt and I love what he does in the film. Um, I love what he'll bring to Anakin uh, uh, throughout the series. I, I think um, what you were saying, Bethany, is that he gets to play with Anakin in a lot more situations, and uh, I would say for probably 70% of the time in the show, 60% of the time maybe, he's really just playing the hero, you know? Um, the hero Anakin that we just didn't really get to see in the other stories uh, because that's what they, wasn't what they were about. And uh, that really helps, you know? <laughs> that helps you like a character when he does things that are more likable, you know? Um, after episode one, Anakin really isn't that likable of a character in the films, I don't think. So, and Matt brings a lot of humanity, but he just gets a lot more time. So, uh, but James Arnold Taylor, you're right. He's, he's so good as Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, perfect. I just, I love James. I love his portrayal of Obi-Wan to me. What was wonderful about it is it felt one in the same with the character that I saw on screen in the prequels. And and that, I think, is the best compliment I could give James, is that to me, there's no difference between his Aunt Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not that he doesn't have his own inflections or anything like that. It's just that the character feels exactly the same. That's an incredible work that he did. So um, for you guys... Uh, How'd you, what did you think of Tom Kane? Because it, obviously we are very used to one person doing Yoda. Um, how do you feel like he pulled that off? Oh, I thought he was really good. Uh, it's, it is rare that you can get the Yoda voice that sounds very close to the original. You know, I've heard a lot of good imitations, but the line from good to great is a pretty difficult one. And uh, Tom Kane. I don't know. I felt like he got Yoda. Yeah. I th- that's way too simplistic to say, but I just, that's, that's what it felt like. You know, a lot of people imitate Yoda, <laughs> but, and, and do actually a really good job at it. But Tom Kane really does a so good of a job that there are times when we're in rebels, when that series started. And I was like, wait, is that, is that, Tom or not like who yeah I wasn't sure I mean it's that close that it's it's it the only way I can tell is I think Tom just speaks just a little faster as Yoda and maybe that was encouraged too with it it being an animated series they wanted a faster cadence to it I don't know but uh I thought he did a great job what do you what do you think Matt I I yeah I, I think what 
What's great about Tom is that he is able to kind of invive the soul of Yoda and make you feel like it's similar, even though you know there is a difference. You know, like it, it's close enough, so I, I, I'm not pulled out. You know, and, and that's, I think that's really what any uh, voice actor has to do. They have to make you feel as if it's the same, even though you can hear it's not. I, I would say the only one who again, that has that ability is probably James because he can get so close, but he still has his own sound for Obi-Wan. You know, he's not completely just doing Ewan McGregor. He's doing James R. Taylor, you know, doing Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I think it's great. Um, and, and what I loved is that they picked a guy for Yoda that I, I think he just... He he kind of felt like he had the soul of Yoda, and so when he was speaking, it 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 felt like that character. And the animation for Yoda was probably the one that took me the longest to get used to because it is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it oh, I yeah, agree it with feels that. very different. Yeah. But it's funny because I I find myself every once in a while picturing that Yoda in my head because I've watched it so much as compared to the films because there's so much more clone wars than there are films now. So, you know, I think that speaks well for what they did. And, you know, that them picking D Bradley Baker to play the clones, I think maybe one of the best decisions they ever made for this show voice wise, because of the way that he is able to create such different characters with the clones, which I thought was really impressive. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's tough to play the same, you have the same voice for different characters because they're all clones and you have to bring out that different personality or different cadence and different angle to each of those those characters to make them stand out different from each other, yet at the same time being the same. So it was a bit interesting to hear in this movie, he was doing Rex and, and, and I guess Cody, but yeah, and the rest were just more background uh, voices. But uh, definitely as the series goes on, it's, it, it's great performance that you can actually take these clones that all sound the same, but yet the, make them all sound different. Yeah. Well, Matt, I completely agree with you about D in that I think it was pretty much the best uh, voice acting decision they made in the Clone Wars. I, uh, I'm always just in awe of what he could do with all of the different clones. They felt so individual to me, which, I mean, yes, part of that was design, but a huge part of that, and I would say the larger part of that, was because of Dee's characterizations of their different personalities. Well, and I, what I love, too, you know, you start here... And, you know, I, I have him right on my wall. He's right above my computer uh, is a Black Series uh, Rex. You know, that character becomes somebody who's so important. And not far away from me on the wall is the Rex from Rebels. You know, like, uh, you know, so the fact that this character became somebody that you cared so much about, we wanted to see him again, I think is incredible. And I think that goes to what D was able to put into the, those different characters, Rex or Cody or Fox or, um, you know, Fives or Echo or any of these guys. They become their own character, even though really they start with the same voice, but 
they all feel different when you're watching them on screen, which is incredible, especially when you watch those clone episodes. And they all have their helmets on, too. And for some reason, he's just incredible. You can hear a difference. You know who's talking to who. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, well, the nice thing about doing the film is they were able to get Christopher Lee back and Sam Jackson back to do Count Dooku and Mace Windu. So I thought that was really cool. I think their characterizations are spot on it there's <laughs> um but what did you guys end up thinking i mean we had seen asajj ventress in the clone wars mini micro series uh but now uh she's going to play a bigger part and we've got nika futterman bringing her to life what did you think about that i love her she's great <laughs> i mean she's just i i would say asajj ventress is one of my favorite characters from the clone wars and her performance makes it even that much better just that voice and and it just sounds like she's always up to something and she's just always mad and she's scheming her ways and it's just she's just so so cool like i really want to see that character in like a live action situation instead of just animated it is so awesome the the, the job that she does with that she makes such an intriguing villain because I, I do get the draw of really well-done villains who are truly evil, and Sidious would be one to name, but uh, she's she's not truly evil at her core, perhaps, and that thought, uh, it, it makes her character so much more intriguing. Like, she she enjoys being a baddie. Um, you know, she, she likes putting on these airs and kind of... Borderline flirting with Obi Wan, and just just kind of flaunting her her I I'm a really cool bad guy status, uh, and it it was so believable. Um, I loved her introduction in the Clone Wars movie, and yeah, I I really loved how it showed her determination too, because she fought with both Anakin and Obi Wan, and did really well especially considering that her training may not be exactly up to snuff with theirs. Well, and she was in the micro-series, and so when they came to this one, knowing that George wasn't involved in the micro-series, I thought he would probably ignore everything in that series. And so when they brought this character into this show, I was like, yes, because that was one of my favorite characters from the micro series. And I'm glad he didn't say, Oh no, I'm doing my own thing. I'm ignoring all those other clone wars things that had been created. And, and he brought her in. So that was just like totally cool. I, I love it that, um, she does have this very interesting flirtatious relationship with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, Obi-Wan is a winner with the ladies, as we're going to find out with uh, the Clone Wars. Ladies like him. Oh and, uh, yeah, I don't know why you <laughs> wouldn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's... The the way that she plays Asajj Ventress, I think, is perfect. You know, she's dripping with sarcasm. Uh, you know, she's she oozes kind of a... I'll say it. She uses kind of a sexuality to her, um, and she uses everything to her advantage to get what she wants. And I think the character is really well ex executed and will have one of the most incredible arcs throughout the series that really mirrors the person I want to talk about next, which is Ahsoka. And 
the way in which, I mean, Ahsoka's introduction here, and um, it was a shock. George gave us something completely unexpected, which was a Padawan for Anakin. And how did you feel about her then? And um, what did you think of the way that uh, Ashley brought her to life in the film? So when I heard that Anakin was going to have a Padawan, especially a very young female Padawan who would probably have a bit of a temper. You know, we knew about the snips thing prior to uh, the film coming out, if I recall correctly. I I was just like, oh, really? Why are they doing this? They're just doing this to try to appeal to as much audience as they can. They're just bringing in characters to appeal to a broader audience, which, you know... You can do that, but if you do the characters well, it's great. And I wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was just thinking how weird it would be for Anakin to have a Padawan that nobody had ever heard about before, and I thought it would feel forced uh, and awkward to have somebody who, as we see in Attack of the Clones, has already taken a pretty drastic step to the dark side, have a very young, impressionable Padawan. You know, what... What would the Jedi Order be thinking to give somebody as immature and inexperienced in that area as Anakin, as somebody young that he's responsible for? Um, but I was wrong. I was completely wrong. <laughs> and while, yes, ah- Ahsoka was a bit annoying, especially in the first season of The Clone Wars, it is because she was young and inexperienced and had a lot of bravado i mean i was annoying at that age so (laughs) no it's it's uh i thought it was balanced really well where we saw her grow learn and mature throughout the seasons and so any mild annoyance that i had with the character uh by the time i got to the end of the eight clone wars film it was a very mild level and I thought was appropriate for her and the fact that she's very young, very inexperienced, uh, and has has a bit of an ego. I, you know, I wasn't put off by the fact that Anakin was going to have a Padawan. I heard a lot of people complaining before the movie came out. They said, Anakin didn't have a Padawan. This this is ridiculous. There's just that that didn't happen. He didn't have one. And I'm like, there were three years that we didn't see that we didn't know anything. And there's nothing in the movies that said that he didn't have a Padawan just because you never saw her doesn't mean she couldn't have existed. So I was perfectly fine with the the fact that he had a Padawan. I thought it would make the story of Anakin even more interesting because here we see him in Attack of the Clones, and he's a Padawan, and then we see him in Revenge of the Sith without, a, you know, now he's a master. And it's like, yeah, let's see what Anakin does when he has to train someone. Considering, in fact, all the things that he's going through in his head emotionally, is that going to, is he going to project any of his feelings about the Force and about the Jedi on this Padawan? And so... Again, going into the Clone Wars, I'm thinking, well, this is made for kids. I'm not putting it on the same level as the movies. Like, I'm not expecting it to be quite like that. So you have to appeal to the kids. I was concerned, you know, will Soka be the Scrappy-Doo of Scooby-Doo and be this little annoying puppy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but The Scrappy-Doo of Scooby-Doo. I love it. 
It's, uh, it's hilarious. But she wasn't. And, you know, rewatching this the other night, and I haven't watched this. This is the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it was the only time up until this week. So rewatching wow. it, it was very jarring since, of course, we've seen her grow into an older character in Rebels to see her come off of the ship looking like this little kitten. I was like, oh, my gosh, look at this. So good. She was so tiny. And <laughs> of course, that wasn't my reaction the first time, but it was I, I she did grow on me, but she didn't annoy me even when I watched the first time. I thought she was a good addition to have there for the kids watching the cartoons and especially for girls. You know, I, I liked Ahsoka, um, and I wasn't really worried. I think what I was more interested in is what they were going to do with her. And obviously, I think the question became, from the very beginning, will Ahsoka live? Um, you know, because... Uh, does she have to die, you know, because of, we don't see her in episode three? So, you know, those for me where the questions are swirling around. And, and I, you know, I, I remember walking down the movie. And I had I didn't really have an issue with her. I thought she was kind of fun. She's spunky and cute. And, you know, uh, you know, when you're talking about trying to go for the widest audience, Bethany, uh, it kind of seemed smart to me at that point putting a, a younger girl in Star Wars, you know, that younger girls could relate to. And I think Ahsoka does that well, and especially uh, they 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 just do such a great job of growing the character. They don't leave her that kind of little annoying bratty kind of thing. You know, she really does grow, and she does it quite quickly throughout the series. So, um, I that and and put together with Ashley's voicing talents, she just came off perfectly and and so I, I really enjoyed ah- Ahsoka's introduction and I felt like I think I walked out of the, the theater back then I'm trying to put myself back there just thinking well this will be interesting to see where this goes um, and and really they just had to continue to do something interesting throughout the series and as long as they did that with her I wasn't going to have an issue with it at all and uh, you know Luckily, that doesn't happen. You know, Ashley just gets better and better, and so does the character. Um, what I thought was most interesting was what it was doing for Anakin. Uh, even in this movie, I was rewatching. I was thinking, wow, Anakin is already so selfish. Because Rex tells him, is like, I thought you said you'd never have a Padawan because it would only slow you down. And on the other side, you have Obi-Wan talking about how it's a privilege to teach and the importance of passing on your experience. Like, the dichotomy between the two characters, I thought, was astounding. And I wanted to ask you guys, so do you think uh, it's... What do you think the Jedi Council is really trying to have happen to Anakin by giving him this Padawan? What about you, Bethany? I think, and I know that... Yoda and Obi-Wan have discussions about this in the Clone Wars, but I think that the Jedi Council is correctly seeing that Anakin is egotistical, and they're hoping that having a young Padawan to teach uh, will help with that. And wrapped up in that ego is a bunch of other things, too. It's, It's insecurity, it's being quick to anger. It's that selfishness you mentioned. It's the 
the thought that, you know, by himself he can go out and win the war. It's the, the concern that he, Anakin always feels responsible for everything, which is giving himself too much power. I mean, there, there's very much something to taking responsibility for things, but then there's also taking that too far and trying to take responsibility for something because it's too frightening to have something that's outside of your control. And when you're teaching a young child, and, you know, I have a bunch of young nieces and nephews, but I'm not a parent, but I imagine as an aunt what it must be like to be a parent who you can't possibly have all of your decisions regarding the child be the best ones. All parents make mistakes, and every child is so different that, you know, even if you feel like your first two or three kids like, oh, this is going really well. Your fourth kid can have such an entirely different personality from you. It's as if you've never parented before. And it's these things I've heard parents express that I believe that uh, Jedi who also train Padawans feel very much like a parent because they are very much in that role. And <laughs> Anakin is not at all ready for it. And fortunately, Ahsoka has a very good, strong personality, and she is of the light side to her core, while at the same time being incredibly intelligent, and she can pick up on and use Anakin's teaching uh, in a way that really benefits her. But I think the lessons that Anakin learns through teaching her, trying, failing, succeeding, um, watching her learn and grow, uh, it, it gives him a broader perspective on humanity because Anakin feels very alone in the world. He has Padme and he has Obi-Wan, but he feels like Obi-Wan doesn't really understand him and he's separated from Padme so much of the time that he doesn't really get to have the same very close husband-wife relationship with her that most couples can have. And he's got this big secret kept from the Jedi Council and the rest of the Jedi that alienates himself from them, while at the same time feeling like none of the Jedi, basically his entire support system, nobody in it understands him. And finally, along comes someone who doesn't judge him and who looks up to him, but also understands him to a degree. Do you remember in the very last uh, scene in the Clone Wars with Anakin and Ahsoka mm -hmm. where Anakin says that he really understands the desire to leave the Order? Yes. Um, and Ahsoka says with this look, she says, I know. It's because, you know, she, she, she understands him as a person so much better than the majority of people in his life. Uh, and he desperately needs that. Well, as a parent, yes, you are right that your kids are so different from one another, even though you raise them the same. But, you know, it, and Ahsoka learns so much from Anakin, but I think Anakin learns a lot from Ahsoka. And, and that continues through the series. But even in this movie, it shows. I think she's trying to kind of bring him to a level of being more 
optimistic and positive. And she even says when they're on Tatooine, why don't we talk about the sand? And he's just like, ugh, sand, <laughs> which that cracked me up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, but I don't even remember what I was going to say. But anyway, um, Ahsoka is, um, I, I think they're good for each other. And I didn't really take it as being the council. I didn't take it this way, but I didn't think about the council appointing Ahsoka to Anakin. I was thinking it was more Yoda's decision, thinking Anakin needs Ahsoka. And maybe Obi-Wan and Yoda coming to that conclusion. And maybe the council doesn't agree, because the council doesn't agree with all things when it comes to Anakin. I mean, I always kind of pictured Yoda, you know, mm, you know, Anakin needs a Padawan he needs. And I can see Mace Windu going, oh, heck no. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I just I keep thinking it was Obi-Wan and Yoda that said Anakin needs Ahsoka. Ahsoka doesn't necessarily need Anakin. I, I definitely think that the desire to temper Anakin is really the reason. Um, obviously, Yoda says in the this movie, he says, um, Anakin needs to learn to be able to let things go. And let's see if he's able to do that with his Padawan. And I, I think that's really interesting. They can sense in Anakin this need to learn this idea of this kind of selflessness. And, and I already said, you know, Anakin kind of shows his selfishness. He doesn't want a Padawan. He doesn't want to train anyone. He just wants to take it all in, but he doesn't want to give it all back. You know, uh, Anakin is the ultimate consumer. <laughs> you know, he, he never wants to give anything back to anybody, but he wants to take it all in. And I think that they're hoping they can they can temper that and they can change that in him by giving him somebody that he's responsible for um, and and make him um, a, a more responsible, giving, caring adult, you know, um, and instead of a child with lots of powers. And I think it's, it is a really interesting thing to watch throughout the series, but it's a great starting point here to say, we're going to try this, but I get the feeling like, Yoda doesn't really have a hope that it's truly going to work. <laughs> um, and it's a really interesting thing to, to watch Anakin grow with Ahsoka. And it's what really interesting to watch the way in which she kind of ends up having three people really teach her. She has Anakin, but they already they set up here in this movie that it's Anakin, Rex, and Obi-Wan that are really going to help mold this young little Jedi and what I love is throughout the film, kind of watching her kind of pick up little pieces from each one of them, you know, um, because she has that wonderful conversation with Rex, you know, and she takes what she learns there and kind of uses it with her next interaction with Anakin and so on. And I think that's so cool uh, because this is another thing we never really got to see. We never got to see Anakin get trained. So Ahsoka's our first look at what it means to be a Padawan and be trained kind of as a younger Jedi. And I think that's so cool. I love watching that happen throughout the series. So would you say this movie is Anakin's story or Ahsoka's story? 
That's a good. That's a good question. I don't know, Bethany. What What, what do you think? I would actually say that the movie is Ahsoka's story. You know, so far, with the exception of The Force Awakens, at least to a large degree, uh, the Star Wars saga has been the saga of the Skywalkers. And Ahsoka is a huge piece to that puzzle. But uh, more than that, she is a very well-fleshed-out character that we've come to... uh, many of us have come to love even the most vehement uh, anti-Anakin apprentice people uh, I've heard about became definite Ahsoka fans as the series progressed but I think this movie focuses more on her than it does on Anakin yeah that's what I'm thinking too I it's kind of between it, it's it, it's tight between the two of them, but I would favor a little more Ahsoka than Anakin. I feel like it's more of her introduction and and us getting to know Ahsoka and and, and her bringing more to to the story and 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 more depth to Anakin. But she's that catalyst to make that happen. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that. Watching the film, it is interesting in the way in which they use all the characters, but specifically the way that they... I think it is a good idea for them to focus on this new character they're going to be introducing throughout the series and give you a taste of who she is and and kind of almost, in a lot of ways, set the main storyline through her point of view, I think is really fun. And again, I think it's really a smart move for Star Wars at that point to, to say you know what, we should probably have a focus on a female character finally. And what I love is that this is way before The Force Awakens, you know. But I wonder if it set the stage for The Force Awakens. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. What do you think, Bruce? Do you think Ahsoka had anything to do with them being like, you know what, she was really successful. Maybe we should make sure that our next, you know, big lead in a film is a female as well. Hmm, I never thought of that, but I can see that that was probably part of the consideration. Uh, if, if they're sitting around a table and saying, "What if our lead in the Force Awakens is a a female character? Is that going to fly with fans?" And I'm sure someone in the room pointed out, "Well, it Ahsoka is a huge winner on." Clone Wars, even to the point that we're bringing her back in Rebels. So, uh, I think I think there was some influence there. I mean, not a huge, but enough to help confirm their suspicions of having a female lead. Yeah, we have talked about this. Um, I think when we talked about uh, the Force Awakens, Bruce and and I was kind of frustrated that so many people were all, "Oh, Ray is the first, you know, true." Uh, lead of a film, you know, and, and first true, you know, big time female lead for a Star Wars property. And I was like, no, that is not true. <laughs> uh, first, you're forgetting Princess Leia, but I think you're forgetting the best character female wise that that Star Wars ever produced, which is Ahsoka. And close to that, you could argue, I think, that Asaz Ventress is second because their arcs are incredible. And they both come from the Clone Wars. So um, I think it proves that, uh, and it did prove, that a female lead in Star Wars 
is not only important, but it's relevant. And you could do it great, and, and everybody loves her. You know, I don't know anybody who doesn't love Ahsoka now. You know, so um, they had a hard road, but they they paved the way. And I would, I would say, without Ahsoka, I don't know if Rey would be as successful. I, I still think she'd be there and she'd be successful, but I don't know if she'd be as successful. You mean as successful from fans accepting her or as successful as the uh, studios promoting her? Um, I think as successful in that Ahsoka paves the way for fans to be very comfortable with that idea. So that once Ray comes along, you know, oh, well, we've had, you know, Ahsoka... So, you know, and, and we're all in her camp. We're ready to be in Ray's camp as well, you know, to get just primed fans for that. I don't know. What do you think, Bethany? Well, I, I was actually going to ask you real quick before I answer. Do you think then possibly that some of the resistance people had towards Ahsoka prior to the Clone Wars actually coming out, do you think some of it was because she was a female character or because it was all just the fact that Anakin has an apprentice and why the heck does he have an apprentice? Or do you think maybe, you know, a little of it was, why does he have a female apprentice? I think it was more of why he has an apprentice. I think the same reaction would have been if it was a, a, a boy. I think, I mean, I just don't think that many people, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think many people really judge too much if it's a female or a male if whether they're going to accept the character or not i don't know but i i think the reaction was just more of uh, anakin doesn't have an apprentice during this time and this is changing what their thoughts were of what was going on during the clone wars yeah i I think i I do think he could have had an apprentice that was an authorian it didn't really matter um I, I don't think it was necessarily about female. Um, would people have reacted and kind of said some of the things they said about Ahsoka and how annoying or whatever she is and and whatnot um, if she had been a, a male character instead of a female character? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but what I do know is, and I think it's the most important thing, is that that character became something that was... I think more important than anybody knew they would be. Um, And it just goes to the writing and it goes to the performance. Well, I will say that I think once they saw the movie, I think Ahsoka probably annoyed more fans because she was a girl than if she were a boy, because I think they wrote her differently than if it would have been a boy. The fact that I, I know a lot of people were complaining her complaining about her calling Anakin sky guy. If it was a boy character, I don't know if we would. I don't know if the boy Padawan would be calling him Sky Guy, and I think that kind of started to annoy people in the early stages once they were introduced to the character. That I I would agree with. I don't think many people objected to Ahsoka to begin with because of the fact that she was female, but there is that, um, and and I mean studies have shown this to be the case where. All of us have inherent slight biases in the forms of what we think are gender norms. And so, for example, we don't accept uh, female leadership as much sometimes as we do from men. So a an eight-year-old girl telling everybody, we should do this, 
might be told that she's being bossy, whereas an eight-year-old boy saying the same thing might be told that he's being a great leader. Uh, so there, there are studies that show that, and I think <laughs> a very roundabout way of answering your question, Matt, but uh, I think you're correct that Ahsoka paved the path to a degree for Rey because fans learned that she was an awesome character. She was an awesome female Jedi, main character, leader, and somebody that we all grew to love. So while I don't think people were actively against her in the beginning because of the fact that she happened to be female, I think that we all as fans maybe subconsciously were slightly hesitant because we hadn't seen it before. And then we saw how well it worked and we knew that it could work really well with Ray. Well, I have to say, you know, I, I really enjoyed all the female characters, especially the female Jedi that we got throughout the series. And I wish we had gotten to spend some more time with them. I, I really enjoyed the uh, Luminaras and uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the Ayla Secura episodes that we got or uh, Shakti or, you know, any of these female Jedi I thought was really interesting when we got them. And I wish we had gotten more of their perspective on things or just gotten more episodes of them because I thought they were fascinating and it was fun to see them interact, you know, the way that the Jedi Order works, male and female, different species, all of that together, it was it was fun. So I, I just, I loved that we got her as a character and I can say unequivocally, I think she is the best female character in Star Wars. And that love of her, it started here and it took a while, but she just became somebody I loved. And I do think a lot of that comes down to, and I could never praise her enough. I think Ashley embraced the character. She embraced the pain of growing into the character as people kind of maligned her for a little while and she stuck with it and, and she won us over as much as Ahsoka did. And you oh, know, yes. so I, I think, again, when we were talking about the characterizations, the, the you know, next to D, I kind of think that Ashley was the the winner, you know, in, in the sense of exactly who you needed to pick to, to be this player and what she's gone on to do for fandom in general for female fandom of Star Wars and beyond is pretty incredible. So, you know, yeah, it all started with this movie coming out that people were surprised to have back in August of uh, 2008, um, which had something really different as well. Not just animation, not just a new female lead for Star Wars, but different music. Um, John Williams doesn't score this. Uh, it's Kevin Kiner who's going to do the rest of the series, and we get the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra to do the soundtrack, um, and I wanted to ask you guys about what you thought about this first taste of Clone Wars music. If it's not John Williams, I'm not happy. <laughs> but <laughs> I have to say, though, it, it really it, it took me a while to get used to it. Um, just because when I think of Star Wars, I think of John Williams. And uh, it, it, it was a little different, of course. Uh, there's, you know, electric guitar and certain songs that play through and it, it just had a different vibe and, and the opening was the star wars theme but played a little differently so for me it was it i can't say that i 
I thought the music was bad at all. It was just a little different. And, but at the same time I'm thinking, but this, this movie and this series is different. And it goes back to, we're talking about the animation style. And, and so it was one of those, you know, I'm going to take it for what it is and, and see how it goes. And I ended up actually enjoying the scores. I actually owned the CD to this movie and have listened to it often. And I do thoroughly enjoy it, but it did take some getting used to. I think I was a little bit skeptical with it not being John Williams. And I, I will again be very sad when the day comes when John Williams doesn't score main Star Wars movies too. But uh, I really liked what Kevin Kiner did with the score. I really loved the variety of it. Bruce, you mentioned electric guitars and a few other just incredibly different sounds than what we've heard in Star Wars before. But the universe of Star Wars is so vast and different and diverse that I'm glad that we got some new sounds that we haven't heard before. And um, like some of the music surrounding the monastery on Teth and the landing on the planet Teth. Uh, I really loved that. And, of course, it brought to us Ahsoka's theme, which feels so classic Star Wars. It's, it is one of my favorite themes in Star Wars right now. Uh, what about you, Matt? Did you have a favorite theme from the Clone Wars? That is a good question. Um... You know, I, I I have both of the soundtracks that they did. Um, I have the the soundtrack for the movie, but I also have the other one that they put out that was kind of a retrospective on all six seasons. And um, he does this. Um, yeah, I like I like a, a Ahsoka's theme. I I really think that's a fun theme and very Star Warsy. But you know, this is going to kind of sound funny, but I kind of like when they go to Zero's nightclub and the band <laughs> sounds reminiscent of like a crooner band yeah. mixed with this cantina band. And it, I just was like, okay, now that's fun. The fact that you can kind of create a new feel, but it also feels Star Wars-y was, I, I just enjoyed it. So um, I'm with you, Bruce. It did take me a little bit to get used to the movie. Um, I think the only time that I really remember hearing kind of like electric guitar in Star Wars was in the Episode Two soundtrack where they they're doing the speeder yeah. chase, and and uh, John dropped a little bit of that in there. But I like that George wanted to expand what Star Wars was, and he started not just with what we thought about Anakin having a Padawan, yada yada yada, but he also started with the music here of expanding what the sound of Star Wars was. And he didn't want to just rely on all the old themes, which they do in Rebels. Well, that's what um, I was go just going to say. When <laughs> Rebels started, then I was disappointed that it was too much like John Williams because I was enjoying something different with Clone Wars. And then when Rebels came, I'm like, no, let's not try to be so much like the movies. I want something more original. I think they've gotten better with that. but Yes. <laughs> I just have a slight tangent of saying that while I have come to enjoy Rebels, I really do miss the Clone Wars. Mm. I really, really do. Yeah. Like, Re Rebels has not replaced it in my heart yet. And it it it's partly because I haven't had as much face time with the characters, but, oh man, I miss it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join that aside, and I'm going to say that I completely agree with you that 
and I think maybe maybe because uh, I'm going to ask this, okay, and this will be a little more general, and this wasn't an outline, but I wanted to ask you guys. On a whole, the Clone Wars versus Rebels. We'll talk about that for a second. I think it's an okay topic to talk about. Um, it's my show. I'll do what I want. Uh, get off my back, guys. Um, so uh, I'm pulling a Riley here, uh, Bethany. So uh, just, just pulling it out of my hat. Awesome. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Because uh, for me, the, the, the biggest thing that's the difference is that Clone Wars always felt important, no matter what episode you're watching, unless it was probably, and I'll say this, I hate to say this, but honestly, unless it was a droid episode, Clone Wars felt pretty important, the storylines they were telling, and maybe that's just because it was surrounded by characters that we already knew were important, like Obi-Wan and Anakin, and we were learning more about somebody like Ahsoka or anything else, and they, they were adding more to these characters. I I don't I don't feel that on Rebels unless they're doing a mythology episode, like uh, with Ahsoka or Ezra's training or any of that kind of stuff, uh, where, where they're kind of adding to the lore of Star Wars in that way. You know, uh, doing another fuel run um, doesn't really add to my knowledge of Star Wars, whereas I feel like on, on the Clone Wars, I was constantly being challenged with new things about the saga, the series, the universe, the characters. All of those things were kind of working in concert. I mean, where else did we learn that uh, Obi-Wan had a love interest back in the day or that there's a place called Mortis where the Force is even crazier than you thought it was with midichlorians. If you thought that was crazy, wait till you get to Mortis. I mean, so I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Bruce, I think it's your turn to touch on this topic. <laughs> Matthew, I think you're looking at the Clone Wars with rose-colored glasses. Um, and the reason I say that is because there were some clunkers in there. I don't think it... I, I, well, that's true. There, uh, I mentioned the droid yeah, episodes. Yeah, I mean, the droid episodes... And if we were if we were sharing mics right now, I would steal it back from you, Bruce, but continue. <laughs> Excuse me. Well... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I like both series. I'd have to think about it for a while if if I like one better than the other. The they're different. I always looked at the Clone Wars as being more of an anthology because one episode is going to be focused maybe on an adventure between Obi Wan and Anakin, and then the next episode it's the droids, and the next episode it's other characters, and we're kind of going back and forth. But when we touch on the the main Jedi in the Clone Wars and we touch on Anakin and, and Obi-Wan we're adding to the mythology of the movie saga. And that's what we're used to. Now we're going into rebels and it's less of an anthology. It's following this one group of rebels and it's episode after episode building off each other. And again, yeah, there's going to be times where one episode's not as good as the other, but to me it plays differently and it's about these, and I'm going to call them, B-level characters because they're not in the movies. So they're lesser-known characters that we're learning about as opposed to learning about characters that we've known about in the movies and we're just expanding on. So to me, they're different. I, I like them almost the same, but they play different from each other. Hmm. I I think I'm going to side with Matt and his... uh really awesome Ahsoka Lives t-shirt that he's wearing right now. I um, win! <laughs> I'm invincible! Uh, no. Yeah, um, exactly. No, I 
but the uh, there there were some definite um, does. I, I think some of my least favorite Clone Wars episodes centered around the Blue Shadow virus because I could not stand that villain. Oh, Doctor Vindy! I really just wanted to turn off the screen every time that he came on screen. But um, I. The Clone Wars animation was so much better and the ability to delve far deeper into the universe and into these random different planets and characters and to have these long going story arcs. Uh, oh, goodness, like Ryloth, for, for example, um, or this, the arc that started with Landing at Point Rain, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, some of these just so far outshine what I've seen on Rebels thus far, if if I were to be brutally honest. However, I still do really enjoy Rebels. And, you know, both series have had episodes that are just duds to me. But um, I think perhaps it may be a personal to me issue is that I still don't particularly like Ezra all that much. Uh, I feel like he keeps both Ezra and Ahsoka were young characters who were learning and who made some pretty grave mistakes from time to time. But Ezra, I feel keeps uh, trying to take the lead in a way that's more egotistical because it endangers the rest of the crew. He tends to be a lot more rash about, you know, going and chasing after the Inquisitors or just not listening to Kanan. Uh, and, and I know we've, I've turned this in part into an entire Rebels discussion here. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's, I just don't connect with Ezra in the same way that I do with Ahsoka. And I don't connect with Kanan in the same way that I do with Rex or Anakin or Obi-Wan. And maybe that is a me a, a Bethany Blanton issue because, you know, I like certain personality types and Bruce, you could be the complete opposite and Matt, you could be different from that. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure because Riley does like Ezra um, and he can't stand Sabine, whereas I kind of like Sabine. So I'm a little bit with Riley there. Yeah, I can understand. Well, that. Maybe we just need yeah. Jar Jar in this series. We had him in Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would fix the entire it thing. Totally would fix it. Like I'm, I'm all. It could happen. Um, well, I, you, <laughs> you know what I think is is interesting is that um, it, it does take time sometimes, and uh, you know I I think that Rebels has had some incredible episodes that have almost reached those heights of some of Clone Wars good stuff. I think that um, but the problem is is there have been like majority of seasons so far where I'm just like ah eh, that's okay, but you know it. It doesn't feel as proprietary or important as, say, you know, let's just use as an example the episode where they just went to the temple with Ahsoka. I mean, that feels epic and important. Like, I have to see this episode. If you miss this in the Star Wars galaxy, you're going to miss something. So far, Rebels hasn't done enough of that where, you know, Clone Wars, for the most part, I think, I felt like if I was missing episodes of that, I'd be missing part of Star Wars that I would be sad to know that I had missed. You know, if I found out I'd missed them later on, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. um, 
Anyway, back to the uh, – I wanted to ask you guys before we wrap up just about any of your favorite scenes or if there were any issues that you had had with uh, this uh, this first introduction to the Clone Wars universe. I loved the scene in the Clone Wars movie where Obi-Wan has tea. Oh, I was going to say that too. <laughs> Oh, okay, well, I, I'll I'll only touch on it briefly, but it is just so Obi Wan, and it was it, it's so comforting to go back to a character that I mean everybody loves Obi Wan. Let's face it. Um, so <laughs> it was just so him, and it was it was so adorable in the midst of being introduced to war and troopers that are dying and. And there are battle droids everywhere, and people are screaming. And then we we cut to this scene where Obi Wan is being the perfect uh, negotiator with his cup of tea. Might we have some refreshments? <laughs> yes. <right>. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, okay. So outside of that scene going on at that same time, I liked it when they were trying to bring down the shield generator. And Ahsoka crashes the wall down on the droids, except the little hole in the wall just misses, you know, Anakin. So he survives and she's like, it's almost like, there you go. See, I know what I'm doing. I'm tough. I'm good. You know, it was, I, I kind of like that scene in there too. <laughs> but I would also say that my kids, I was rewatching it the other day. They, they go nuts every time they see Stinky. I mean, that little baby hut, and I'm, you know, he is cute. I kind of want one now, but <laughs> just wait till you can see what he grows into. I know. Well, you know, why don't we need to see him in one of the later stuff? You know, I want to see what he grew up as. And then I just have to throw one out there for Zero the Hut. I mean, I never in a million years would have pictured a hut in a Star Wars movie to act like that. And sound like that. It just cracks me up. <laughs> oh my! A senator? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. You didn't expect all huts to sound like Truman Capote? <laughs> <laughs> never. Oh, no, I never expected that. Mm -hmm. So those are my favorites. Oh, oh, and the vertical battle. Yes. That was so yes. amazing. Yes, that's one of my favorites too. Okay, do I get my microphone yeah. back, Bethany? Since we're agreeing on this. <laughs> Yes, yes. I think what was so cool about that vertical battle is that, you know, every Star Wars movie kind of introduces something new to the universe, you know, uh, as it comes to vehicles and how they do something. And the Clone Wars movie does that with that vertical battle, giving you a, a new view about how those Clone Wars walkers worked. And it just it was a completely new scope. And I loved the fact that they took that risk. I, I think, again, that was one of those things where I was like, okay, this show is taking itself seriously, and it's 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 working hard to expand Star Wars for everyone and what that means. And it's 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 not treating itself like it's just a cartoon. It's treating itself like it's a Star Wars movie. And I have to say that um, I feel like it worked really well, especially with, you know, giving us a battle like that. Um I also have to say that, for me, I love the lightsaber battle between uh, Asajj and Obi-Wan. Um, one, I thought it looked really good as a battle. But two, I loved the banter back and forth 
I, I thought it was really well executed. And again, I felt like it was just letting me know, gosh, this show is going to be good. This is going to be something I'm going to want to watch. Um, so with all of that said, after almost an hour and a half, <laughs> which I, I didn't know we were going to talk this long about the Clone Wars movie, and I feel like we could keep talking, but uh, what do you think that you'd end up rating the, the Clone Wars movie? How about you, Bethany? Hmm. Oh, goodness. I have to rate it. Um, if I were being thoroughly honest, although I enjoyed it so much, I would probably give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, just because, you know, with within Star Wars and character-wise, it did so much, but uh, it 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 did leave some to be desired. Uh, because I mean, they didn't really first intend it to be a film to begin with. So as far as the flow went, there were some definite individual. You know, it did feel like individual stories to a degree within the film. Uh, but, oh man, the dialogue, the voice acting, the characterization, the ideas behind it, like a baby hut named Stinky and a Zero the Hut type of character and a vertical battle and just all these different innovative ideas that they had in the movie. Those were all so interesting and I wouldn't have predicted any of them. Uh, you know, I, I, I get a little bit annoyed when I can predict, especially in TV shows, but also in movies, like this character is going to say this, and then this is going to happen, and then it will be drama, and then it will all be fixed with this, and uh, I love the Arrow TV show, but I do this frequently in Arrow, and I'm usually right. <laughs> but um, I couldn't predict anything in The Clone Wars, uh, and I, I really liked that about the plot about the movie itself. What about you, Bruce? I did like the movie. It's not a movie that was so good that I would have said that I would say, Oh, I wish they made this into a live action movie. Um, it was good. It was a good, a really good solid start to a series that only got better. And because it got better, um, I'm going to rate this, uh, probably kind of on the scale that Bethany's talking about. I'm going to say uh, three, not three out of ten, three uh, st stinky coups out of five. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I think we're all pretty much in agreement. I, I think for me that um, this is, is three and a half out of five uh, broken down Twilights, which we didn't even talk about, but uh, I like the Twilight. So um, I thought that was a fun uh, addition to the show for a while. And, uh, you know, this is a good start to the show. And I think it's a solid foundation for them to build on. And as we've talked about, this show gets nothing but better. And so that by the time it ends in season six with those Yoda episodes, um, we're talking about some of the best Star Wars ever, honestly. I mean, really. Some of the best and most important Star Wars you, you can see. So um, to say that it started here and, and went to that is incredible. So, you know, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it. Have a good time. And it's a great it's a great way to, to start a rewatch or, you know, heck, go through the whole series chronologically. That's fun, too. So... 
Um, I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to sit and bound and talk about this because I really enjoy talking one about Star Wars and I could talk about the Clone Wars all the time. Um, it's It really still is one of my favorite parts of Star Wars and I really appreciate the fact that Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson support us through Patreon as and their associate producers here through that. Um, now, we're a listener-supported network here at Trek FM and that does mean that we need your help to make sure that these shows keep coming to each week. We have a network that's pretty big. We've got a lot of shows, over 20 different shows and special feeds, and that costs a lot for us to put out to you. And so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can become part of the team and make sure that all of this keeps coming to you each and every week. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Bruce, I'm so glad to have had you back here in the 602 Club. And uh, before we let everybody get out of here, uh, let everybody know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And, uh, you know, Bethany uh, edits this wonderful website called StarWarsReport.com. And I probably owe her something that I need to write for that site. So you can find me there whenever I turn that into Bethany. (laughs) <laughs> well and bethany uh it's always a blast to to have you back and i'm so glad you were able to make it let everybody know where they can find you and of course about the podcast that you're involved with thank you yeah well first thanks for having me on because i i really enjoyed talking about the clone wars with both of you you two are two of my favorite people to talk star wars with oh i'm blessing so i this is a, a perfect intersection of, yay, I get to talk to both of them at the same time. And we all get to hang out uh, at Dragon Con yes. this year. Woohoo! Yes! I'm so happy. We're going to take you everywhere. Ah, that's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton and on Instagram with the same name. Um, I have Snapchat and Facebook and just basically just search for me on whatever social media platform you're on you might find me but uh yes i do work over at starsreport.com and also help out with our main podcast often and i love doing that so hopefully i'll be at star wars celebration in europe this year fingers crossed if everything works out and we'll get to see some of you there well i can be found on twitter at matt rushing zero two and then you can find me on Instagram at mrushing. Uh, I also do a show here on the network called The Orb with Chris Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then I'm on another show called Literary Treks with Dan where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get a chance to interview the authors, so that's a lot of fun. I do a Star Wars dedicated show called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, and you can find that over at thenerdparty.com as well as on iTunes, and I hope you'll check that out. We have a great time talking about the small things the big things the everything in between with star wars so i hope you'll uh enjoy that show we we honestly have a blast doing it and so well thank you everybody so much for joining us and may the force be with you